Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of the dental business community. This is Patrick O'Rourke, as the nice lady just said, and I am here with you, and I appreciate you stopping by and listening to the show. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Practice Quotient, uh, PPO Analysis and Negotiation. Practice Quotient is uh, top-tier negotiation professionals for top-tier professionals. If you're a top-tier professional and you don't feel like you're being compensated adequately, appropriate to your time, training, expertise, and charisma, then you should contact the fine people at Practice Quotient. And that's www.practicequotient.com or 470-592-1680. With that, let me introduce or let me introduce myself to Deneen Dismore. Hi, Deneen. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. It is my pleasure. So you are you are on the show all the way from Long Island. Are you in Long Island right now? No, but that's where I was born and raised, hence the personality. You're welcome, folks. I am currently in Charlotte, North Carolina. Gotcha. So that's a big, uh, little bit of a change from New York to the South, did you find? Yeah, and it was really interesting because I had a blip for five years on the West Coast first. I was in Portland, Oregon. And, but the grandparents are in Charlotte, so we're at least close by. Gotcha. So we're here now. Yeah, I like that area a lot, actually. So I'm in Atlanta and I'm originally from Florida and this is as far north as I could go. Um, Cause I was like, whoa, hey, listen, man, it's what's up with the cold here, dude. And they were like, well, you know what they say about the weather here in Georgia, don't you, Patrick? I said, no, Bubba, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? And they're like, well, if you don't like it, you just stick around now, it'll change. And it's true. And so now I like it, but I still like, I was just at St. Pete last, last week. I'm like, anyways, <laughs> Charlotte's pretty. And that's as far North as I probably go. I love North Carolina, all of our clients and all of our people in North Carolina will give you a big shout out. Um, but what you do for a living doesn't really necessarily, you don't need to be there. Right. Right. I have no bounds. I work in multiple time zones. Like I prefer it. Gotcha. So one of the why we wanted to have you on the show is that you are a new patient acquisition specialist. And the entire premise of this show is that um, when I got into the dental niche from the insurance business and for corporate America, there's different things that I don't know about. And so I have never met a new patient acquisition specialist before. And so can you help me and by me, I also be our listeners understand what that does. What what is a new patient's acquisition specialist? What is it first? Well, it's exactly like how it sounds. Um, I help dentists and industry partners attract and get quality clients or patients, depending on your preference. Um, and that's all I do. I really help to drive profitability in a practice by helping them to attract patients and getting them to come back. And it's really important because especially in my line of work, a lot of people think, oh, you know, the fastest way to grow a dental practice is to get a bunch of new patients to show up. But it could also be quite the investment. So the idea is to keep the people that you're attracting. And I help them to not only form a strategy, but help them implement systems in order to grow a practice strategically with a heavy emphasis on marketing. Gotcha. 
Um, so that that's helpful. And that would have been my first guess if I had to. Um, now, I've been working with docs and de- Dennis for years and particularly individual ones. You know, I'm like, well, what do you do for marketing? You know, and they're like, you know, I don't know. I sent some mailers, you know, back in 2005 and it didn't work. Um, and I'm not the marketing guy at all. Um, and so I don't really, but I do equate PPOs to outsource marketing costs. Right. And so I bring up the marketing, the metaphorical marketing people and you know, all the time I'm like, well, you know, we just have to compare costs. So let's first go with your story. Um, because one of the things that I saw on, on your website, one of what it kind of piqued my interest was that you have to tell your story. Um, and I was like, wow, Denine seems like a really interesting person to talk to. So I'd like to have her on the show. Um, so let's start with your story first and how'd you, the, you know, the, the classic, how'd you get into the dental business, Denine? I got into the dental business by accident. It was the biggest blessing and blip that I have had on my career thus far. Um, I graduated at a time where there were really no jobs. Everybody was just taking what they can get, especially in New York. It's a very competitive, saturated environment. And so I was at an entry level point competing with executives that were settling into roles that perhaps they were overqualified for, but since it was available, they were snatching up jobs left and right. I always saw myself in maybe a boutique advertising agency um, where I'm surrounded by a lot of creative people who are all about telling the story um, visually and in any way possible, really, um, to get their story out. And that to me said that I was going to be in a corporate work environment or an advertising agency. And so when those jobs became unavailable because people are cutting their marketing budgets in a down market and they don't necessarily appreciate what an entry-level millennial has to offer and calls quality work, I found myself trying to look into markets and industries where there was a little bit more stability and less volatility. And that happened to be healthcare. Healthcare is a very big word, right? And mm-hmm. so as I applied for jobs in healthcare, I found myself surprisingly in dental. There was a boutique dental practice that was looking for a marketing director to come and to help drive business. And I was the best person for the job. I was in Soho, Manhattan at the time. I moved on to the Upper West Side of Manhattan and my career spirals from there. But that's how I got into dentistry. And what served me really well is my story, my background. I happen to have practice level experience, even though I've gone on and with my own endeavors have formed a business where I'm able to speak to exactly what happens inside of a dental practice, all while incorporating my business background and helping them to create systems, understand their metrics, to really create the most newsworthy patient experience that we spread to everyone to attract people and clients that we really wish to work with. Mm-hmm. And that's a uber competitive market, um, Manhattan. For I mean, they're, they're yeah, that, <laughs> it's like that Manhattan, LA, Miami. Um, there's these are places where 
everybody wants to live, you know, and so there is, there's a lot of the, you know, the dentists want to live there. So they're there. Um, and then when I say the kids, I'm getting older now, but then they graduate school, like they don't want to go to, um, you know, BFE, um, you know, Alabama, I'll pick on Alabama for a second. No offense, Alabama, don't come shoot me. Um, it, but they would rather go to, you know, one of the hotspots because they're young. They're like, oh, it's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And you know, listen, I can't blame them. You know, me, I'm older now. I would rather, I'd rather go to Alabama. Um, so as, as it's a competitive market, do you see a big difference in other places? Do you alter your strategy, your new patient acquisition strategy, if you are in um, a different market? Yes and no. I think that due to the competitive nature of places like Manhattan or Miami, like you referenced, there could really, there's a lot less room to be broad stroke. I say you double down on who you are, your specialty, what you're known for, what kind of business that you're looking to do. Whereas in other areas of the country, most other areas of the country, it's not that we want to be broader, but in Manhattan, you have the liberty of saying, I only do implants, right? Whereas maybe if you're the only dentist in a 20-mile radius, perhaps your offerings expand. But the essence, regardless of the area that you're in, is to tell your story, be very clear of who you are, so you attract people who you are wanting to do business with, wanting to serve wanting to help and change their lifestyle. And the more that you are consistent in what makes you unique and your special, regardless of your offerings, that is what helps to drive business. That's what helps patients who are likely scared and don't want to see you dentist as much as we love you and as much as we need you. This is not the most sexy industry. Um, there are many people who are who have fears and have old stories. And we want to make sure that we're really penetrating that and making sure that people who come to us for help know who they are and know the experience that they're going to get while they're addressing the things that actually matter, which are typically health concerns. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's a really good answer. The I have had some very um, surface level questions with with my clients. Uh, and I'm like, Hey, listen, so do you know what type, like what's your, because what I preach is PPOs or outsourced marketing costs, which can be quite useful. All my friends in the insurance industry, I'm not, uh, PPOs can be useful. Don't get all torture pitchfork. All right. Um, but there, it just depends. Right. And so you need to understand what is it you're going after. And so that's what I ask the clients and I go, well, you know, you know, hey, doc, you know, which, what are you going after? Now, if they know implants these days, then they'll know that. But if they're just a general dentist and they're doing more bread and butter stuff, they're, they usually don't know. And I've, I've really stopped asking this question, but I, I used to, you know, I'm like, well, there's got to be some common denominator in, in your practice, whether it's a, you know, um, occupation, whether it's, you know, kind of a church affiliation or there's, there's something where you're going to have more of a certain type or persona or a client profile than others. Um, that's something I learned in, I probably read somewhere, but 
tell me if that was on point or not and comment from there. I think what you're driving at is that there, there's something that makes you unique. You can be a dentist that does the same exact thing as the person next to you. But the way that I would resonate with somebody is different than how you, Patrick, would resonate with somebody. We each have different ways of doing things, different ways of explaining things, different things that we specialize in. We both are dentists, for instance, but one dentist, their unique selling proposition is what I'm getting at, is maybe you will always run on time and we have hours that are early in the morning. That doesn't necessarily appeal to the corporate business executive that really needs after hour appointments and weekend availability because they have different needs and they have a different lifestyle. So what makes you unique, who you are affiliated with, what your special magic offering where we can surprise and delight our patients, that is what needs to be emphasized so that you're working, you're attracting people who you can actually help in the time frames that you do it and in the style that you do it. So what I'm hearing is you really want to understand yourself first and then articulate that as value proposition out, which will then attract the folks that you're looking for, not necessarily start with the folks that you're looking for. Start with yourself first. Right. I I always say, yeah, absolutely. I I see this quite a bit in the industry where marketing is a big word and people just want to do marketing and they want to serve everybody and they have all these offerings. But I always say, if you're talking to everyone, you're really talking to no one. You're really going to struggle to gain the traction that you're looking for as you build up a practice if you're trying mm-hmm. to just get anybody and everybody to come through your doors. So the more uh, the more unique you are, the more clear you are in your branding, your messaging, your tone, even your visuals, when it comes to advertising yourself, offering yourself to anybody who needs a dentist, you really want to create a funnel based on everything that makes you special. And that's how you build a practice in a way that's a bit more meaningful, in a way that that create that gets patients to come back. Very simple way of putting it. Gotcha. So let's go to that. Let's jump to retention. Um, I talk to docs, like I said, so people call me, we're referral based, you know, 100%. So you have to, it's usually a current client or something like that. Um, we do, we're awful at marketing. So I really don't know a lot of these answers. We don't do any marketing. Like we have a website. Uh, I speak on a regular basis to educate. Um, That's part of our mission. And that's definitely not marketing, really. That's, you know, it's it's not a sales pitch. I'm just trying to educate. Um, So from my own personal experience in marketing as a business owner is very small. Um, When I'm talking to the docs, like that's really important, I think. And, but they all know how many new patients are getting a month, right? I'm like, they're like, I'm getting, you know, I'd say 25 is probably the minimum for, you know, people that are calling me, but, you know, 50 is not uncommon either, you know? Um, And then I go, well, how many of them are you keeping? Like, what's your retention rate? And then I, it's crickets. So talk to me about retention and maybe how important that is and what efforts you're, you put towards that is there are you tracking that absolutely and that's one of the most common mistakes i see when i work with clients 
they they do exactly that. They they know how many new patients they have, but they don't know where they're coming from. They're not tracking how long they stay. And if they float away, they're likely not doing anything about it because most practices don't focus on that. They focus on the snapshot. Where are we this week? Where are we this month? Um, it's interesting because in both the independent practices and also in the DSO space, multiple sites, um, think of like an Aspen dental or a heart you must know your your numbers or, or it would be highly recommended <laughs> for you to know your numbers, but in a more meaningful way. So what does that mean? First of all, it's interesting that you say that, Patrick, you, you don't really know marketing. This industry is built on relationships and patient referrals. A lot of the marketing programs, the sweet spot is to get your friends and family members to refer to your practice. They tend to be the most loyal, um, referred friends and family members, meaning they'll stay, they'll be retained, and they are the cheapest to get <laughs> to come to your practice. Advertising budgets can be astronomical depending on the area that you're in. When I was in Manhattan 10 years ago, it would cost about $200 of marketing dollars per patient to walk through the door, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're spending $200 a person to get somebody to show up and it was my job to make 200 new people show up every single month. That's a lot of money. But if I just have somebody, if I wow them and I create this newsworthy patient experience and they tell and they brag about it and turn them from just a patient into an actual raving fan and they refer people to you, that is one of the best ways to market your practice. You get to work with more like-minded people who need you for your help. They're you know how they have that expression, you're the sum of your friends, um, your five closest friends, you're the sum of their friends. Imagine if you got five of your favorite patients' besties to show up and then they referred other people. That is fantastic marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, <laughs> but to get back to the retention, um, when it comes to actually keeping a patient, you must know how many people are coming in, but what are we doing to stay? I say anywhere between 18 to 24 months, that patient that you have is likely gone. You have to do something to re-engage them to come back. And the better your relationship with them is, and relationships can come in the form of a monthly newsletter. Relationships can be in the form of having an event, social media posts. Are you engaging with us there? Reminders, text message reminders, any form of follow-up increases the likelihood of actually keeping and retaining the patient. But the number one way to retain a patient is to show them that you are the best person who not only can do what they're looking for, but they really like you. We're looking to create personal emotional connections with the people that we work with because that is ultimately what's going to drive their attention. If I don't like you, you can follow up with me millions of times. I'm not coming back. Right. No, that's absolutely true. So the, the it leads me to think I'm, like, well, Denine, you've worked with small practices, you've worked with larger practices. And so it's got to be more difficult as you scale, I would imagine, to create a personal and emotional attachment to a corporate. Well, I guess you have larger companies attempt to do it, 
but I like I like to drink Coca Cola, but I don't have a personal and emotional attachment. I don't think to them, and I don't want to. They don't reach me, right? Talk to me. Um, I don't know if that's a really good comparison, but is there a difference between? Here's my question: Is there a difference between independent practice and then the lar- the larger you become, uh, as far as your shifting your strategy? Well, yes and no. In a smaller practice, there tends to be a lot of people wearing multiple hats. So when it comes to building those personal emotional connections, I likely will be speaking to the same five to 10 individuals every single time that I make contact with them, instilling a culture where we know exactly who we're talking to because we know who our intended, our target audiences, our intended audiences, and finding ways to build relationships with people and giving reminders, refresher courses, if you will, to that same 10 group of people is, is different than the DSO space where now I'm working with teams. Now I'm working with different stores. Same store growth is a very hot topic in the DSO space. How are we going to emphasize how to build individual practices up? And so while the systems are different because I tend to talk to a team or a specific segment within a corporate organization, the essence is I have to help them create proven processes in order to replicate that through each individual practice. And so while, yes, it could be difficult because that takes a little bit more time or, you know, who's paying attention, who's snoozing as they come in and I help them to form these personal emotional connections. But the system at its core is still the same, but the way that it's executed and implemented is different. Yeah, I'm going to put this in my own words, if that's all right. Um, What I heard was... It is a little bit different, but in a larger organization, it's broken down into teams and the same store growth. You're putting together a process, but the messaging and what makes that particular practice might be unique because healthcare is in always, you know, is local. And so you're empowering the individual practice to create their own messaging um, but still have a foundation for a process for tracking and accountability. Absolutely. We're, I never would encourage anybody that I work with to, you know, find a way to be cookie cutter. <laughs> Absolutely not. But it, it could be effective, right? When we see our, our Coca-Cola commercials during the holiday season, that is the same cookie cutter commercial from years ago because it works. It's effective, right? But uh-huh. Coca-Cola and healthcare are two different things. I drink yeah. Coca-Cola. I'm not really invested in that. I'm invested in my healthcare professional. I'm invested in the experience that I have as I come to the dentist. So this is true. That was a bad comparison. So one of the things that I say, uh, well, let's kind of go on to, let me ask you this question. How important do you think PPOs are or insurance participation being in network is and the, and the answer is it varies. Okay. But is how, have you seen that noise pick up or down? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of tension um, when it comes to, do we commit to a PPO in a dental practice? And I always say, who are you talking to? Who is your target audience? 
that needs to be answering the question because it doesn't matter whether the PPO is there or not. What experience are, are we creating? What do they value? Some people are looking at their dental insurance as a coupon, essentially, where others are looking what? at their dental insurance as this means I don't have to pay anything else. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is my whole policy. All I have to do is pay my copayment, my deductible, and everything else is free. Common misconception, right? yes. So, right. So the perception is different. So you have to know who you're talking to, add the value. And I find that when you marry the two, when when you really understand who who you want to work with, they call it a client persona, an avatar. That's a business term. But you know, call call it call it call him Bob. Once you really lock in on Bob and you know exactly who Bob is, where you can he use works, John Ray. I use him all the time. <laughs> we can call him John Ray too. But how old is John Ray? What does John, John Ray, Ray is like? He, I don't know how old he looks like. He's ninety, but he's only I don't know. He's probably only like sixty years old. But he hasn't seen the dentist since like the the Bush administration. Well, so John needs some help, right? So how do we help him? In more ways John. than one. <laughs> John, you are so funny, Patrick. I can't with you today. Yeah. <laughs> but John, John. might come in and have dental insurance, but John's value system isn't really rooted in cost. It's rooted in the experience. It's rooted in how he perceives your value. Well, let's just and say that John Ray, John Ray doesn't things. trust folks, right? He's got trust issues over there. And so uh -huh. he's he's coming in there because he's something hurts, but he's like, Don't try to sell me any of that other stuff, you know. But the reality is he needs the other stuff. And so you're gonna have to take some time and hold his hand and build build some rapport with John. You That's know? right. And you um, have to um, you do that by driving personal emotional connections. John's not gonna do business with you, regardless of what dental insurance provider he has if he doesn't feel like he can trust you. And the way that you present and demonstrate your value is how you really seal the deal with John. You don't lead necessarily with the dental insurance. Perhaps that's a marketing vessel, as you pointed out before. Mm -hmm. um, your words. <laughs> but perhaps it is a vessel, right? That it, it is a way that people can find you. Who is in network with this PPO? You find, found your practice. So what I typically do is make uh, the iPhone example is what I bring up. So with the iPhone, I hate paying for my iPhone. My, this iPhone costs me, what, a thousand bucks every couple of years or so, depending on your storage and the features that you get, the size, so on. Mm -hmm. But I'm invested in my iPhone. Why? Because my values outweigh the cost. I trust this iPhone. It is reliable. I have recommendations of the iPhone. There's an iPhone army out there. Do not ever confuse an iPhone user with an Android user. It causes massive debates. Mm -hmm. I, so I've got the recommendation. I'm invested. I'm familiar with the iPhone. It's familiar to me. I have rapport with this phone. So it doesn't necessarily matter how much this phone costs and how uncomfortable I am anytime that I have to recommit to a new iPhone because I have almost this personal emotional connection with this device. It's not just a device to me anymore. That's what helps to build the gap between the discomfort of cost versus the overcoming that. And really this phone is an extension of my lifestyle. The dentist, that's their job. They want to be something that even if the person's sensitive about cost, even if the person is afraid of the actual treatment, I am so invested in the experience that I have 
the outcome that is waiting for me on the other side and the benefit that it has on my lifestyle, that's what I'm going to focus on. That's what a good dentist focuses on. It's not so much what I'm offering and how I'm going to do it. It's why does this matter to you and how does it impact you outside of this office? Mm-hmm. But that's more sales. That's, all, that's uh, it's an awesome answer. I really, I concur. Um, you know, one of the things that I say, so there's, you know, as I'm speaking, you may get this, and this is what's interesting to me because what the marketing messages and sort of what I talk to tie in, you know, in, in, a, in a very real way. Uh, and, and I go, and so I'm on stage and they're like, you just don't understand Patrick, you know, we're, we're in Chicago and it's very managed care friendly here. And, you know, they just want to go to a PPO dentist and they have to go to a PPO dentist. You don't understand Patrick. We're in Omaha. We don't understand Patrick. You're, you're in, you're in Lexington, Kentucky, or you're in Tampa, Florida, or Miami or Manhattan or, or Boise, Idaho. And I'm like, this is my shock face. Because I've never heard that before. That's, that's quite that's quite the face. It didn't move, mm-hmm. Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that was my poker face too. Um, and I'm like, it's just, it's still like, and then I I I go to the room and I'm like, listen, if you're fee for service only, raise your hand, please. And inevitably, high hands go up. It doesn't matter where I'm at. By the way, I've been in Long Island. In Long Island, I was shocked. Lots of hands went up. Um, I guess that's a very very nice area. Um. Again, I'm not from New York, so at any rate, um, but it doesn't matter. L.A., North California, Chicago. Um, these are all managed care-friendly areas. Florida, where I'm from, coastal Florida. Are there still fee-for-service-only providers there? Yeah. And then I'm like, see how happy they are? They look a lot happier than everybody else in the room. Now, just to be clear to all my friends here that are listening from the insurance world, I'm not saying that you shouldn't participate with plans. What I am saying is that there are different strategies, but if you got to view it as outsourced marketing costs, what's working, what's not working, right? If you're always on sale, then you're always on sale. You don't need to always be on sale. Um, You know, you just, it's really, it's a, um, what you're doing is you're putting yourself on sale, right? And it's no different than a new patient special or free whiting for life or free nitrous. I really like that, by the way, out there in the world. That's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's how you get Pat in there. Um, and John Ray. John, look at John Ray. Look how excited he is about the free nitrous. Um, I'm with you there, John Ray. Um, anyways. <laughs> anyway, so then you bring in the cost-conscious consumer. They have an amazing patient experience. And then they refer to their friends, co-workers, church congregation, et cetera. And they're coming in because you have an amazing staff. You have an awesome location. You know, you have the best chairside manner in all of your state. They want to be cool like their friend. And this is why I say on stage, I'm like, maybe half of the people in this area in Chicago or Omaha or wherever I'm at, maybe half of them don't care who puts fingers in their mouth. All right. So let's just assume that you're correct. All right. And I'll make an assumption. All right. Cause I'm a math guy that 50% of people don't actually care at all. Who puts fingers in their mouth as long as you're in a network, right? That's what you're saying to me, people. And they're like, oh, I'm like, okay. Well, then the other half care very, very much, right? Now I'm in that other half, right? I I do care. And even let's say that I'm a little bit ambivalent towards my own health. I can assure you that my kids and my wife, I'm going to be extra careful about who puts, who touches them. You know what I mean? 
So there's definitely different types of consumers out there, consumer profiles, consumer types. Now they're called avatars. This is business, you know, kind of one-on-one. Um, and so it's just a matter of who you are attracting. And then you want to be able to, if you're going to put yourself on sale, you want to do it to generate referrals. And I really liked what you had said about the family. Like the, I, I did not know that that was, a, you know, an inexpensive form of marketing, assuming that you're doing a good job as a professional. Right? I didn't families. That's good. Um, and I didn't know that cause I'm not a dentist. So, you know, our clients refer other dentists, but usually they're not their brother. Sometimes, sometimes brother, sister, give me anybody refer somebody that's within two degrees of separation from you. So when I say friends and family, that's just low hanging fruit and rolls off the tongue pretty easily, but could be refer your, refer your coworker, your PPO office. Have you ever thought about contacting the employer who's actively giving out or incorporating this dental benefit into your plan. That's Uh, a really good way to attract and get a bunch of new patients in. It doesn't have to necessarily be a friend and family refer your network. So Denise, you may not know this about me, um, but I am at the beginning of our conversation. I'm from the insurance business. So I've sold a million dollars dental insurance. So I've done hundreds, if not a thousand open enrollment meetings, right? Where you get there and you explain the medical benefit and you explain the dental benefit and they're always all glaze over by, you know, by the time you're done, right? Johnny lunch buckets, like, psh. and so there, a lot of the employers, why are you um, doing this? Why are you giving people benefits, right? It's to attract and retain talent. So you want them to appreciate it. So if, if you get in some of the providers and you give them some, some free people love the free toothbrushes. I don't know why, but they do. All right. Give them something. Right. And so there, there are um, plenty of providers that have picked this up, but it's, it's like one of the best kept secrets. And I don't know. I, the ones that do it usually have a marketing director um, and it's, but it's not the dentist themselves, you know, I found that a lot of them tend to be shy. Um, even like some of my really close friends, um, Dustin Jacobs, who I knew listens to the show. Hi, Dustin. Um, I said, Dustin, why don't you put your face on a billboard? And he's like, no, he's a big, tall, like, you know, handsome looking dude. And I'm like, Man. he's like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and so I think that they should hire marketing directors. And then go to the schools or to go to the employers and give away stuff. If you're doing implants, people need education on implants, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. They do. Right. You're not in your head. You're like, all right. I, yeah, I think I think what you're getting at is, first of all, when dentists go to business school, and this is, or, I'm sorry, <laughs> don't go to business school. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly and one, my point. One in 100. <laughs> there are some. Exactly. I've met that raise, raise your hand if you've been to business school. And a lot of them, they have, they are good at what they do because they have effectively put their blinders on and mastered a skill set that requires them to stay rooted in clinical related endeavors, right? If you don't know how to do, if you're not a good dentist, that's a problem. <laughs> Doing quality work that is lasting and sustainable for the patient is the best way and one of the best ways to build trustworthiness. Your rapport, your reputation, your technique is, is what drives you. But that there's one class. I don't even know if a credit is offered. I don't know how it works at most dental schools, but there's one business course and the chances of Having somebody whose credentials are lying in things that they learn outside of that class, it's not focused on, nor 
should I do I think you should ever do anything with one class under your belt and call yourself an expert? The best dentists out there know how to delegate. They have systems in place. They trust their teams and they hire people who can act on their behalf with parameters and boundaries, obviously, in a way that gets them the most effective result. And eventually, after testing things out over time, they get their proven processes in order. And that director, marketing professional, it's their job to take everything that they know in order to move the business, move the practice, move whatever it is forward. And so, yeah, a lot of successful dental practices that use something like a powerful, amazing welcome bag or a goodie bag or whatever it is that they have it. The marketing professional understands that relationships and feelings are what drives business ultimately. And so when you greet somebody with a gift, not only do they feel welcome, but they feel compelled to give back. Robert Cialdini, The Science of Influence, what really drives people to your practice is your ability to create something that influences them to act in a way that is beneficial to both parties, mutually beneficial, beneficial to the patient because they're getting the services that they need and beneficial to the doctor because they have people to help and serve and impact, which ultimately is profitable. Slam dunk. Right there. I, it makes me feel like I should have given you a gift bag. Before you oh, it's holiday season. It's never too late. <laughs> would, would you like a Would you like a Christmas card? I would I, love a Christmas card. I will. I will I show. <laughs> I will show you one. <laughs> give, give me Give me a Christmas card. But I mean, hey, you never know. You might want to call it a holiday card. There's a lot of holidays this season. So. <laughs> That's right. Holidays card. I'm all for festive holidays whatever it is i'm all for it so let's throw some confetti and celebrate our holiday happy holidays to everybody out there um so it this is this has been very enlightening so if people i got one last question so in the good the gift bag like what's the coolest thing like what's the most popular thing that people want eric would tell me is that is that a state secret talking to i'm talking about me that is the best patient so if you are my ideal client i have to know what you like there is no specific thing that's going to be the magic thing in a patient bag if my ideal client is a stay-at-home mother perhaps the starbucks gift card or Something that helps to add ease to her day is different than the corporate executive that really wants a cool pen. Oh, the pen. I have to know who I'm talking to first and let that derive my decisions of what I put in the bag that indicates to the person that doesn't know me that I really get them and I really value them and I really want something to be in that gift bag, to be something that they like and can use and can talk about to other people so that they refer the people that I want to help. That's awesome. That's a very good answer. So, Deneen, for all of our listeners that need help, all right, our corporate listeners, the DSOs, all right, and for the independent practices, 
because you're national and this is a international show. Thank you. And I also, as a business owner, just to echo what you said, it's not just Dennis. It's all of us. I see. I'm like, we're all in this together, right? I'm a business owner too. And I'm, I'd like to think that I am really good at what I do. I am not good at anything else. And so nothing. We podcast producer, you know, so I just go find the best one I can. John Ray is the man. Right. And so I make a lot, I you know I make fun of him a lot on the show. It's just because he, he can't talk. And I think it's funny. Um, but John Ray is the best podcast producer in the land. Right. And so, and then I have the best lawyers, I have the best IT people. And so I just go hire the smartest people that I can. So I don't have to worry about it, you know, and I can focus on what I do well. Um, and so I think that that's a really good message. And it, so for the clients or the dental practices out there that, want the best marketing or the best talent acquisition and retention specialist they want to get in touch with Deneen. how do they do that well fortunately for me i'm the only Deneen dismore in the world so you can visit me <laughs> on my website or any social media place deneendismore.com find me on linkedin find me on facebook on instagram i'm everywhere because that i'm a marketing cool. professional mm-hmm mm. So yeah, you can just Google Google Deneen Dismore. All right. I am slightly jealous about that. Uh, with somebody with an Irish last name, O'Rourke, O apostrophe. They're like, well, it's O'Rourke, O'Rourke. And I'm like, no, it's just oh, it's just oh, oh my God. You know, and then you go to like you know, your bank that you've been at for 25 years, and they're like, We can't find you, sir. And I'm like, Yes, I'm in there. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, Deneen, this has been enlightening. I hope you've had a good time. Um I've had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yes, I agree. Um, I would like to thank our sponsors once again. That would be uh, me and uh, the fine team at Practice Quotient. Has anybody told everybody at Practice Quotient what a good job you're doing here today? I will tell you that you guys are doing an awesome job. Thank you so much. Um, if you would like to uh, get a consultation at Practice Quotient, mention Dental Business Radio, and we will wish you happy holidays. Um, if it's the holiday season, of course, uh, and uh, at www.practicequotient.com. I'd like to thank John Ray, and who is about to become a, a best-selling author. Um, Google that. And the uh, whole team at Business Radio X. Um, appreciate y'all. And Deneen, Dismore, talent acquisition specialist. This has been a real, I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit, quite spicy. So also to the listeners, thank you guys very much. Until next time, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke.